12. In an independent monarchy for some years helped to combat the views of those who shouted liberty too loudly, and would fain have abandoned practice for theory. It was understood that the first requisites were order and security, together with reasonable checks on authority. Further, it was realized that there must be sufficient elasticity to meet future needs and circumstances, but for the emperor, the forming of the constitution would have been a failure. Almost immediately after his first opening of the assembly he laid before it a sketch of the constitution that they had to form. The recent constitutions, he said, founded on the models of those of 1791 and 1792, have been acknowledged as too abstract and metaphysical for execution. This had been proved by the example of France, and more recently by that of Spain and Portugal. We have need of a constitution where the powers may be so divided and defined that no one branch can arrogate to itself the prerogative of another, a constitution which may be an insurmountable barrier against all invasion of the royal authority, whether aristocratic or popular, which will overthrow anarchy and cherish the tree of liberty, beneath whose shade we shall see the union and the independence of the empire flourish in a word, a constitution that will excite the admiration of other nations, and even of our enemies who will consecrate the triumph of our principles by adopting them. There was, however, too much of self-denial in the emperor's views to meet with the approbation of the assembly, that the head of the ministry were the brothers and Rodamen who in earlier days had rendered great services to Dom Pedro, but who had grown somewhat arbitrary, overbearing, and impatient, and now presumed on their past services in establishing the empire to tyrannize over both the emperor and the assembly. In the end the members of the assembly forced the brothers to resign, that which the people rose and drew Jose Bonifacio in triumph through the streets of Rio to his official residence. Fearing the people, the assembly reinstated the Andradas for a period of eight months, after which they were again ejected. From this time on they became violent opponents of the assembly and the court, seemingly determined that if they could not rule, nobody else should. Their newspaper, the Tamayo, was a powerful organ in the capital and proved itself as unsparing as it was libelous in its attacks. It was owing to obstruction of this kind that for a long while no advance was made in the formation of a constitution, for as the emperor made suggestions, the Andradas caused them to be thrown out. Bills brought in by members were never read, and the brothers even went so far as to attack the Portuguese employees of the emperor, and when one of these wrote a scathing article against them, they used personal violence toward him. He appealed to the assembly whereupon the Andradas insisted that he and all his fellows should be dismissed. Week by week the Tamayo grew more virulent and threatening against the emperor. Dom Pedro grew alarmed, for the Andradas were wealthy and powerful, and the emperor felt that their disaffection might be a sign of general popular feeling that the Republican movement was gaining ground too much for his safety. His actions against the Republican movement in various parts of the empire, necessary though they were, had, nevertheless, forced him into connection with, and reliance on, the Portuguese residents and militia, a class almost as distasteful to the liberal Brazilians as the Portuguese whom they had driven out of the country, thoroughly liberal in his own tendencies, Pedro yet felt that the Andradas might be expressing a general discontent with his rule, the Andradas, at the head of the popular party, drove the emperor to the use of extreme measures by their insolence and turbulent intrigues, he took the law into his own hands, the brothers had induced the assembly to declare itself permanent, but, not unlike Cromwell in a different species of crisis, Pedro surrounded the chamber with troops and guns, dispersed the deputies, and captured the three Andradas, together with two of their principal friends, 
These five he deported to France without the formality of a trial. At this the popular party took alarm, but the emperor found out that he had no other course left, he had acted from no desire to impair the freedom of the people, but from necessity. The proclamation which he issued at this time stated that, though he had, from regard to the tranquility of the empire, thought fit to dissolve the third assembly, he had in the same decree convoked another, in conformity with the acknowledged constitutional rights of his people, with regard to the forming of the constitution. He left it no longer to the assembly, but appointed a committee of ten persons to settle the sketch he had drawn up. The Republican and ultra-liberal party, awed by the salutary treatment meted out to the Andradas, grew furious at the further energetic measures of the emperor, for they saw in Dom Pedro's policy an attempt to gain absolute dominance. Open rebellion broke out all over the country, and a republic was actually proclaimed in Pernambuco, Sierra, the northern provinces generally, and in the south. Uruguay for the last time revolted, and severed the tie which bound her to the empire, having never since been subject to Brazil. The moderate people wavered between the two sides, they sought in republicanism only anarchy, while the emperor's coup d'etat inspired them with fear of his government. He himself, seeing that a striking move was necessary, sought the assistance of the town council of Rio, and with their aid adopted the constitution he had drawn up, without submitting it to the assembly. On March 24, 1824, he swore to the Constitution in public, trusting to the freedom and fairness which it embodied to gain him adherence. This move was perfectly successful, for wherever the Constitution was proclaimed the Republican Party fell to pieces. The principles of the document were so simple, liberal, and practical, that the Republican Party could not ask more than the Emperor gave. By this Pedro saved his throne, beyond doubt and gradually the provincial authorities and the people of the country accepted the situation, and swore to observe the new constitution. In the meanwhile a species of minor maritime warfare was carried on in the river plate between the Brazilian fleet and the Argentine vessels commanded by Admiral Brown, in the course of which the Brazilians suffered not a little, and the prestige of the imperial fleet in consequence diminished. On December 11, 1826, the Empress died in childbirth at the early age of 29. She had come out from Austria determined to make the ways of Brazil her own. On her first arrival she was considered lovely, and there is no doubt that her fair, clear complexion, blue eyes, and golden hair were immensely admired by folk themselves almost invariably possessed of raven locks. Some while after she had arrived in the country of her adoption the Empress is said to have neglected her personal appearance to a rather regrettable extent, adopting the ways of the Brazilian countryside rather than those of the capital. Thus she accustomed herself to a large heavy boots adorned with enormous spurs, and would ride astride on a horse, her hair being suffered to hang loose about her face and shoulders. In fact, she paid not the slightest attention to those attractions with which nature had endowed her. She was a being of intense charity and love, polished to a degree, an accomplished letter writer, and a lover of the fine arts in general. Had the Empress bestowed less care on others and more upon her own person, there is little doubt but that she would have led a happier life, for the emperor, surrounded by the temptations which are always in the path of crowned heads, allowed his affections to stray. Indeed, so wrapped up was Dom Pedro in his liaison, that the unfortunate empress, under pressure, found her rival attached to her court as lady-in-waiting. Her meek and affectionate temperament does not appear to have resented the at all events openly, when, however, this rival insisted on making her away to the deathbed of the Empress, 
it was felt by the attendants that all bounds had been passed. On their own responsibility they prevented the proposed entrance, and after the death of the Empress suffered for their pains at the instigation of the slighted favorite. Towards the end of 1826 Colonel Cotter, an Irish officer in the Brazilian service, undertook to bring over a number of his countrymen from their native land in order that they should become soldier settlers that is to say, they were promised 50 acres of land ahead if they would undertake to perform military service when needed, the result was a fiasco, the unfortunate Irishmen came out, but found nothing prepared for them, they were insulted, moreover, by the Negroes, who took to calling them, white slaves, as a mark of contempt for the ragged clothes to which they found themselves reduced in the end, goaded beyond endurance, not only by neglect, but by periodical assaults on their numbers, the Irish, together with a number of Germans and other soldiers who found themselves in a similar situation, broke out into open mutiny, and a pitched battle took place between them and the blacks, who had now been armed by the authorities, in the end the Brazilians intervened, assisted by the French and the English Marines, who were landed from the fleets of their respective nations, and the mutiny was suppressed but not before many foreigners quite unconcerned with the affair had been slain. After this the Irish returned to their native land. The proclamation of the Constitution marked the zenith of Dom Pedro's popularity. The dangers he had gone through and the arbitrary measures he had been compelled to adopt seemed to have altered his views to an extent which in the end alienated from him the sympathies of his people. He never again trusted the Brazilians, while the success of his arbitrary policy in connection with the Andradas and in the troubled times which followed, gave him a taste for absolute rule. In the formation of the Constitution he saved his country, but ruined himself. After the last sparks of revolution had been put out, the people looked for the convocation of the Assembly again, but the Emperor omitted to bring this about for such a length of time that the nation began to understand that he no longer viewed its claims in the same light. Soon his preference for the Portuguese began to attract notice, and the treaty with Portugal into which he entered before the mother country recognized the independence of Brazil, caused general indignation by its extravagant concessions. The treaty was justly resented, for Pedro was emperor by successful revolt and conquest, and yet by this treaty he forewent his just rights, and then bought them again from Portugal with Brazilian money. This error of diplomacy was followed by war against Uruguay, for the emperor attacked the revolted province and declared war against Buenos Aires for rendering assistance to the Uruguayans. The campaign was carried on so feebly and expensively that the people regarded it as folly, and at the same time resented the enlistment, already referred to, of regiments of German and Irish troops, aliens, who were never popular. The people of Brazil were aggravated, in addition to these causes, by the increasing extravagance of the emperor, and by the expense which his establishment entailed. While his policy had reduced the nation to poverty, there were numerous payments to be made to Portugal in connection with the senseless treaty into which Pedro had entered, there was the cost of the war, including the pay of the hired German and Irish troops, and then there was the personal expenditure of the emperor to add to these, while the militia system of the country had developed into a sort of conscription, an utter grievance in the sight of people who wanted liberty and peace. In 1828 Uruguay was declared independent much to the dissatisfaction of a great number of Brazilians, who advocated the retention of the Banda Oriental as a province of Brazil. On March 10, 1826, Dom, João died. As soon as the tidings reached Brazil the emperor assumed the title of King of Portugal, in addition to that of Emperor of Brazil. On May 2, six days later, 
he abdicated the throne of Portugal in favor of his daughter, Dona Maria. It was resolved that Dona Maria should marry her uncle, Don Miguel, in order that she should ally herself with a Portuguese of high rank. Nevertheless, a dispute arose between the adherents of Don Miguel and those of the Emperor of Brazil, and a state of civil war obtained in Portugal for a time. Dona Maria, on her arrival in England on her way to Portugal, was received with royal honors, but Don Miguel seized upon the throne and managed to hold it for a while. Supported by the Portuguese or absolutist party, Pedro went his way, and, even in his latter days of rule, refused to sign bills for the development of the Constitution. There was undoubtedly much now to unsettle the Brazilian populace. Disadvantageous reciprocity treaties were concluded with various countries, while defeats of the Brazilian soldiers were experienced at the hands of the troops of the Argentine Republic. An indemnity was demanded by France and the United States of America for ships captured during the blockade of Buenos Aires, and large sums of money had to be paid to avert further war. Finally, the English government persuaded Brazil to make a somewhat humiliating peace with Buenos Aires, and renounce all claim to the colony, which was henceforth to be known as the Republic of Uruguay. By 1830 the policy which the emperor pursued had alienated the national affection to such an extent that every member of the assembly but the ministers was in opposition. Wherever the emperor went, he was treated with coldness instead of enthusiasm. A scheme on the part of the republicans for adopting the constitution of the United States, but retaining Pedro as hereditary president, caused him to dismiss his ministers, and surround himself with men of the absolutist party. At this an immense crowd assembled in the Campo de Santa Ana demanding the reinstatement of the popular ministers. The emperor sent a magistrate to read a justification of his conduct to the crowd, but the paper was snatched from the magistrate's hands and torn to pieces almost before he had finished reading it. In their turn the people sent messengers to the palace, insisting on the reinstatement of the republican ministers. The emperor listened to the demand, and answered, I will do everything for the people, nothing by the people. This answer exasperated the crowd still further. Yet no excess was committed, that two o'clock in the morning the last messenger of the people was departing with the emperor's refusal to yield to their demands, when Pedro bade him stay, and, sitting down at his desk, wrote his last message to the people of Brazil, availing myself of the right which the constitution concedes to me. I declare that I had voluntarily abdicated in favor of my dearly beloved and esteemed son, Dom Pedro de Alcantara, having handed this to the messenger. Pedro burst into tears and retired to his private apartments. Six days later he sailed from the harbor of Rio in an English man of war, leaving Brazil and his child for good. Chapter XX From Empire to a Republic Dom Pedro II was but five years old when his father abdicated in his favor on April 7, 1831, and, during his minority, the government of the country was entrusted to a regents. In 1840, when he was 15 years old, it was officially announced that he had attained his majority, and he was crowned in 1841. In 1843 he married Teresa Christine, sister of Ferdinand I.I., of the two Sicilies. His sons died in their childhood, and his daughter Isabella became heiress to the crown. Pedro I.I. came to the throne at a perilous time. The people were in a state of revolution, while the national exchequer was practically empty, and the national bank was bankrupt. With the abdication of Pedro I the ministry and official service had disappeared, yet the crowd that had forced the abdication of Pedro I drew the new boy sovereign in triumph through the streets of the city, and, placed in a window of the palace, he watched the great multitude throng past, 
acclaiming him with immense enthusiasm. It was soon seen that, in spite of the national upheaval, the mass of the people were fully alive to the necessity for preserving order and preventing license. There were riots and disturbances for a time, as was inevitable, but the patriotic, although turbulent, family of the Andradas again came to the front, and suppressed all signs of revolution. Thus the boy emperor's position was secure. Still, with a country nearly bankrupt, stringent measures were necessary to restore prosperity, official independence and peculation had to be suppressed, and the regents, who succeeded each other with marked rapidity, had to be watched, while it was necessary at the same time to maintain the executive power. These exigences led to strenuous scenes in the assembly, and the succession of regents became still more rapid. In this capacity Andrada, Carvalho, Manias, Facio, and Lima, succeeded each other, while ministers and opposition squabbled and strove together, denouncing each other as the worst of tyrants. Notwithstanding the confusion, a certain amount of progress was effected, abuses were remedied, reforms effected, while the national tendency towards republicanism strengthened the ultra-liberal party, to whom the old time of Salutists allied themselves, a reactionary party, desirous of seeing the emperor recalled, came into being, and between these two was the moderate party, composed of the greater part of the population of the country, and represented politically by the regency and the majority in the legislative chambers. There was, however, sufficient strength in the Republican and ultra-liberal party to accomplish revolt in the provinces of such extent as to call for military action in order to suppress it. Accordingly the provinces became, through the various reforms introduced, self-governing states, and, when the number of regents had been reduced from three to one, there was little difference between the Constitution of Brazil and that of the United States of America. The old emperor, Pedro I died in Portugal on September 24, 1834, and after that event a strong reaction set in among the Brazilians in favor of the monarchy. The Democratic Party asserted that the emperor's sister was, on attaining the age of 18, fully capable of exercising the duties of regent, having once granted this. The natural deduction followed that if a girl was fit to rule at 18, a boy was fit to rule sooner. In 1840 the opposition brought forward a motion to the effect that the emperor was of age, in spite of the article of the constitution which declared that the majority of the sovereign should be the age of 18. By that time the nation was prosperous and at peace, while moderate men were tired of the faction struggles and the tumults caused thereby. Lima, regent at the time, was extremely unpopular, and, when the debates began in the assembly, there was a general wish that he should be defeated. The motion of the opposition was made, and was met by the answer that the Constitution forbade this premature declaration of majority. The opposition retorted that circumstances warranted the infringement, since in extreme evils the interests of the state required extreme measures. Such a proposition as this implied that the regent and ministry were in extreme evil, and the scene in the chamber grew animated as the speech grew more and more personal. Antonio Carlos de Andrada, one of the younger men of that great family, as fiery-tempered as he was patriotic, led the attack, accusing the regent and ministry of usurpation and unconstitutional tyranny, since the princess had attained the age of 18. Then Galvao, one of the most prominent of the ministerial party, turned against his own side, and urged the immediate proclamation of the emperor, another eminent member of the assembly, Alvarez Machado declared that the cause of the emperor was the cause of the nation, and ought to receive the approbation of every lover of his country. The language of the opposition grew violent and threatening. Navarro, 
a deputy representing Mattel Grosso, denounced Lima and all his acts, finishing his declamation by shouting, Hurrah for His Imperial Majesty's Majority! The applause from spectators and the opposition alarmed the ministerialists, who tried to secure delay in bringing about the change. Limpo de Abreu moved that a committee be appointed to consider the matter at once, and, this being carried, the opposition consented to an adjourning of the assembly. On the next day the regent prorogued the assembly until November, and appointed Vasconcelos, a man of great standing and political power, but factious, selfish, and immoral, as minister of the empire. These unpopular movements brought about actual revolt in the assembly, for Antonio Andrada called on the members of the assembly to follow him to the senate. The two houses conferred, and appointed a deputation to the emperor himself, urging his consent to being immediately proclaimed. The deputation returned, bearing his majesty's consent, and in order to the regent to revoke his decrees, pronouncing the chamber to be again in session. These powerful measures ended the controversy. In 1841 the coronation ceremony was performed, and Pedro I.I. assumed actual rule over Brazil. He was in almost every sense an efficient ruler. His personality was viewed with confidence in Europe, and so long as he occupied the throne the very important question of foreign loans presented few difficulties. The influence of the emperor was especially notable at the conclusion of the Paraguayan War, when the finances of Brazil were in an exhausted condition. Pedro I.I. was no autocrat of a gentle and exceptionally unselfish character. He governed in a simple and most painstaking fashion, manifesting his patriotism in every possible direction. Exterior events were of little importance during the first years of Pedro's reign. The chief happenings were a certain amount of civil war in the Rio Grande, and the partaking of the Brazilian forces in the battles between Uruguay and Roses, the tyrant of Argentina, varied with occasional fights with Uruguay itself. In 1842 revolts broke out in the provinces of Sao Paulo and Minas Gerais, but these, together with similar insurrections in Rio Grande in 1845, and in Pernambuco in 1849, were suppressed. In 1851 Brazil espoused the cause of Urquiza, the governor of Rios, against that of Roses, and the aid of the Brazilian troops was largely instrumental in bringing about the fall of the tyrant, Dom Pedro's administration. Moreover, was conducted with tact and good judgment. His presence acted as a check upon the experimental tendencies of the more effervescent of his subjects. He believed in slow and sure progress, and undoubtedly during his reign Brazil responded to the care and thought expended on her. Indeed, the policy of the emperor was liberal to a degree, and as such very welcome to a populace whose ideas, if not instincts, had grown more or less democratic. In 1865 the Five Years' War with Paraguay was commenced a struggle in which, under the tyrant Lopez, the tiny republic held at bay the armies of Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay, to the utter ruin of Paraguay itself, and the virtual destruction of its male population. The struggle terminated with the death of Lopez at the Battle of Cerro Corro in 1870, after exhausting the resources of Brazilian finance. Meanwhile, in 1867, Dom Pedro opened the Amazon to the commerce of all nations and in 1871 passed a law for the gradual abolition of slavery. Had Pedro been gifted with a child of a character resembling his own, it is reasonable to suppose that the empire would have continued for far longer than was the case. Unfortunately, however, neither his daughter, the Princess Isabel, nor her husband, the Conde du, had succeeded in winning the sympathies of the Brazilians. Princess Isabel was markedly cold and restrained in manner. 
and these unfortunate traits appear to have been fully shared by her husband. The latter was somewhat deaf, which added to the apparent reserve of his manner, he was, moreover, credited with the possession of a miserly disposition. These qualities, when viewed by an impetuous and mercurial people, whose lightning sympathies demanded as rapid a response, inevitably threw their supposed possessors into disfavor. The situation was doubly to be regretted, in that both the princess and her husband were in reality devoted to Brazil and to the best interests of the Brazilians. It may truly be said that nothing beyond the lack of demonstrative power cost them their throne. This factor in the general situation appeared at the time to be more than counterbalanced by the great popularity of the emperor himself. The republican spirit was growing, it is true, and the progressive state of Sao Paulo headed the movement. After a while this tendency was shorn of all disguise, and the formation of a republic was openly advocated, but the universal desire appeared to be that the form of government should not be changed during the lifetime of the popular emperor, Pedro I.I. In the meanwhile the commercial and industrial resources of Brazil were rapidly becoming extended, and the wealth of the planters increased steadily. Dom Pedro on various occasions visited Europe for the purposes of the state, and, in 1886, he started on his third journey to the Old World since the conclusion of the Paraguayan War. At no time in the history of South America has it been found prudent for the head of a state to leave his country for too long in the hands of a regent or deputy. In this case the powers of regent were handed over to Princess Isabel, and this lady lost little time in putting some admirable intentions into effect. This, however, she managed to effect in a manner, as is frequently the case with well-intentioned persons, which wrought no little mischief to her own interests, humane and of advanced ideas. Princess Isabel had always regarded the slave trade with abhorrence. The Emperor Pedro himself had approved of the conditions very little more, it is certain, indeed that he had intended ultimately to do away with the state of affairs by a gradual series of moves, so as to alleviate the general industrial situation in affected. Princess Isabel, on the other hand, favored the idea of an immediate uprooting of the evil. As it happened, some steps had already been taken which must in the end, of themselves, have done away with slavery, thus, it had been decreed in 1871 that every child of a slave born after that time was free. This was not sufficient for the warm-heart daughter of the emperor. In her impatience to free the older generation from their shackles, Princess Isabel determined on a general abolition forthwith, in 1888. Notwithstanding the entreaties and warnings of her ministers, she issued a decree to this effect, by which it is said that 720.000 slaves became emancipated. At the time remarkably little stir was caused by this upheaval of the industrial status but there is no doubt that the measure alienated the sympathies of the most important class of all that of the landowners, who were now quite determined that the princess and her husband should never come to the throne of Brazil. While all this was occurring, matters had cropped up in Europe which had caused the emperor's absence to be prolonged unduly so far as home matters of state were concerned. His health was bad, and his suite were anxious to save him as much as possible from the anxieties of politics, in order that this should be effected. He was persuaded to stay away from his country for a considerable while. At length it became evident that his return was imperative, and in August, 1888, he landed again in Rio, where he was received with genuine enthusiasm. His love personality, however, could no longer stand between the throne and popular opinion, for, in addition to the discontent aroused by the acts of the princess, the centralized system of government, and the general prevalence of corruption in the provincial administration, 
had excited a widespread feeling of discontent, especially in the Assembly and among the Republican Party. In May, 1889, occurred the resignation of the cabinet which was in power when the Act of Emancipation had been passed. A new cabinet was formed on June 7th, under the presidency of the Visconde Preto, a statesman much respected by the Emperor. The liberal policy of this new cabinet was resented by the landowners, and a serious agitation, which now began, shortly after received the support of the army, General Diodoro de Fonseca and General Floriano Pixoto placed themselves at the head of the military malcontents, and it became clear to the inhabitants of Brazil that a crisis was not far off. On November 14, 1889, some 15 months after the emperor had returned to his country, the imperial residence at Petropolis was surrounded by soldiers, while the palace at Rio was taken possession of by other troops. The revolution was conducted in the simplest fashion. Beyond the arrest of the emperor and the wounding of the Baron de Laudario, the solitary minister who resisted, nothing happened nothing, that is to say, of a dramatic nature. Indeed, after the arrest, the chief work of the revolutionists appears to have lain in the obliteration of imperial badges and the cutting out of similar tokens from their uniforms and flags. The main population of the country appears to have regarded the change with the most complete indifference. Dom Pedro's personality appears to have retained somewhat of its popularity up to the very last. He was sent to Portugal a few days after the successful revolt, it is true, but it seems that this move was taken rather because it appeared to be the traditional and proper thing to do than from any dread of plotting on the part of the deposed monarch, who was allowed to retain the whole of his property. In fact, in order to show that no personal malice was intended, the new republic pressed a pension on the deposed monarch, which, however, was refused. Pedro I.I. quitted the harbor of Rio on November 16, 1889, and with his person the last trace of Iberian monarchy vanished from South America. Chapter XXI Modern Brazil After the deportation of their third monarch, the Brazilians settled down to enjoy the advantages of an ideal and much exalted republican government, but it was not long before they encountered some sharp disillusions. Their first president, General Don Manuel Diodoro de Fonseca, who had been mainly responsible for the expulsion of the emperor, was installed by, 